Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Hey everyone. If you like this podcast, go behind the paywall to get privileged access to the smartest minds in finance. Visit realvision.com slash rvpod and use the promo code podcast10. That's podcast10 to get 10% off our essential membership for the first year. Join the Real Vision community and learn how to become a better investor. And now to the top analysis of today's markets. inflation bottom above the target of 2%. Welcome to this deep dive interview at Real Vision. My name is Andreas Steno. I'm the senior host here at Real Vision and founder of Steno Research. And I'm thrilled to be joined by Mish Shetlock this week for a discussion on US inflation and whether we will at all get back to the target of 2%. Welcome to the show, Mish. It's a pleasure to host you. Hey, it's a pleasure to be back on. Uh, it's been a while, so I'm looking forward to this topic. This is a great one. It is a great one, and uh, you're one of the best thought leaders on this exact topic of inflation in the U.S. Mish, I'm asking this question up front, whether it is at all feasible to get back to 2%, given everything we've seen in this inflation cycle. What do you make of that uh, topic up front here? It's going to be very difficult. Um, the Fed really has its work cut out for it. And a lot of the problems are of the Fed's own making. We had fiscal stimulus on top of that, two rounds under Trump. And uh, the last big one, huge one, totally unwarranted under Biden. So we had this unleash of inflationary forces from two fronts, one from QE, um, one from fiscal stimulus happening at the same time. And we can throw policy mix into it as well. Um, just looking at reports just from yesterday, Biden wants to um, make some improvements to, uh, to, to you know, for, for union wages, for prevailing wages and on how they're going to determine that. So it looks like we're going to have a, a huge increase in uh, wages, what government has to pay for federal projects, roads, buildings, all of that. At the same time, we have global forces. You know, we've gone from just-in-time manufacturing from overseas to trying to exclude China, trying to exclude Russia from uh, minerals and energy standpoint. Well, it's it's a monster inflationary mix everywhere I look, and I just wonder how the Fed actually thinks it's going to address these because most of these forces are out of the Fed's control other than what it did uh, uh, on, uh, on QE to inflate the price of housing over the years. Yeah. And obviously, QE is, is not a thing right now, at, at least, Mish. If we look at the most recent data print for U.S. inflation, 
we had a swift move below 3%. I think we went as low as 2.97%, right? And now we're back at 3.2%. So what do you make of that local bottom? Do you actually think that we will reaccelerate from here, Nish? Uh, we might head down from here. That can easily happen. Um, my immediate forecast here, though, is for a rise in energy prices. So that's going to filter back into the CPI. Uh, the point that's on everyone's mind that everyone has been predicting wrongly, not, not, not in this corner, though, was that the price of rent was going to drop. And the reason why they felt that is um, the price of new leases actually is declining. Uh, yeah. uh, actually, maybe the decline is over because it's heading back up. But for about the last 18 months, we've seen the price of new leases drop. And everyone kept saying, well, this is going to filter in to the, how the BLS determines rent. I said, well, it's not going to, and it didn't. And in fact, we've had 18 consecutive months now where the price of shelter has gone up at least four-tenths of a percent, 18 consecutive months. Now, since that's part of core CPI, and that's what the Fed is watching most, the fact that used car prices dropped a bit and medical insurance dropped a bit, so they claim, the we're not going, and energy certainly did collapse, so uh, that made for an easy transition lower. But rent or shelter is 34.5%, something like that, of the CPI. It is going to be very difficult for uh, inflation to come down in a meaningful way unless the cost of shelter comes down. So far, it's been stubborn. The, uh, the, the way the BLS produces or uh, calculates rent is um, a, a rent increase happens all at once and it lasts for a full month. The BLS smooths that in over, over a 12 month period as le uh, existing leases expire and new leases are written. So, but we we saw these massive jumps in um, in uh, rent from Zillow, from apartment list, from a whole bunch of sources, and then those started turning lower. Um, but uh, the you know existing rents and new rents are completely different animals. One is sticky, the other one isn't. We've certainly got a lot of houses um, uh, home uh, under construction, and people are hoping that, well, when these complete, the price of rent's gonna go down. I don't know. So there's a wild card there, but I, even if rent comes down, there's just too many inflationary forces from deglobalization and from what Biden is trying to do with wages, and from what Biden is trying to do with energy, that even if we do see the CPI come down, I don't think it's going to plunge like it has before. The world has changed. 
Mish, we'll get back to those exact questions in just a second. I'm uh, European and I'm born and born and raised in Denmark. And if we look at the European methodology, we basically look at inflation ex shelter de facto. Uh, the shelter component is only um, 5% of the total inflation basket. And as some, some of my clients uh, told me from the US, well, you basically target the homeless inflation basket in Europe since you don't measure uh, the, the rent of shelter de facto, right? Uh, but if we look at the inflation ex shelter in the US, we're actually very close to zero. Uh, so what do you make of that discussion? Is it even feasible for the Fed to look at inflation outside of shelter as a gauge of the overall inflation pressure? And, you know, Powell has been sort of alleviating to these ex-shelter pressures in various press conferences, but it doesn't seem like it is the actual target variable. So what do you make of that discussion, Mish? Let's discuss shelter in isolation. And um, the biggest component of shelter is something uh, um, is is a price that is like imputed. And some economists say it's not even real. It's called owner's equivalent rent, OER. It's the price that someone would pay, believe it or not, if they were to rent their own house from themselves um, with without uh, furnishings and without utilities, unfurnished without utilities. So uh, the for somebody who owns their own house or got a mortgage, uh, you know, free and clear, you know, uh, or refinanced at 3% a number of years back when they could have, their costs are not going up. Yet OER keeps going up because rent keeps going up. What the Fed did when they did all this massive QE, they lowered mortgage rates below 3%. Everyone was able to refinance. And everyone did. You know, if you had a mortgage four years ago, three years ago, you refinanced at a lower rate or you were crazy. Um, the And so the, everyone in this class has... 3% mortgages, everyone renting now has seen their cost of rent go up 18 straight months, as I mentioned, and everyone that wants to buy a new home, home prices appreciated because um, the uh, cost of a mortgage fell. So this is the mess that the Fed has created for himself. This is extra money in the pocket, effectively, when they uh, lowered uh, interest rates to 3% and, and, and people refinanced. That's extra money in, in people's pockets. But it's clobbering anyone new, all the millennials and the Zoomers, Generation Z, that's looking forward to buy, looking to buy a house now, is has to pay a mortgage rate of 7.25%, which was the, the price yesterday. It's been mostly above 7% for uh, a quite some time or near 7% for quite some time. So the Fed's created this, this sort of dual economy. And you know, at the same time, 
we've got a push, you know, from the labor unions for for big contracts, for auto contracts is coming up in September. We ought to, you know, take a look at that. It's possible that that alone could throw the U.S. into recession. But the, the Fed is in a prob problem of its own making here. So if it raises interest rates, it's going to decrease the amount of homes that are being produced, which is going to make rents or keep rents stubbornly high. So uh, on the other hand, if they start cutting rates, they're going to refuel the housing bubble that we're still in. Home prices have not really have hardly declined uh, uh, despite massive increases in uh, the cost of a mortgage, the price of a mortgage. So I, it, it doesn't tie. So, you know, the Fed and Biden and Congress have made, it, made winners and losers here out of this in such a manner that it's impossible to untangle. If the Fed, the Fed has hiked all the way now and mortgage rates are 7%, well, that's going to slow construction of new apartments, although they're at an all-time high. I still don't know if there's enough. So what are we going to do? The, you know, if the Fed suppresses housing, that's going to act to keep the rents of existing homes up. It's it's a really big mess here, and it's possible the Fed needs to crash the economy to bring inflation down under control. They don't want to do that. So what's the conclusion here? You add it all up. You add in the global forces. You add what the Fed's done. You add what Biden is doing. You add the, the you know the regulation, this huge push towards electric vehicles that is very inflationary. Where are we going to get all of these minerals from, the infrastructure from, add it all up, and we have a very inflationary environment such that even if rents do start to decline and everyone gets out, lets out this big cheer. We're going to take a quick break and be right back with more of today's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I don't think it's going to last. I, I, the, the Fed is going to be struggling with this for a long time. Very good point, Mish. And I'd like to pick your brain on the current policy path of the Biden administration in relation to this inflation question. You mentioned the energy policy. You mentioned the policy push towards electric vehicles. Uh, and you also mentioned the release of the Strategic Petroleum Reserve, if, if I'm not mistaken. So the Biden administration is trying to contain inflationary pressures short term, but long term pressures. There is still a dark horse given what they're trying to obtain here, Mish. So 
what do you make of the policy mix of the Biden administration in relation to this inflation target? Well, the mistakes just keep piling up and piling up. You know, it was the uh, uh, Davis-Bacon, you know, Wage Act that that, that Biden was, was the name that I was trying to come up with uh, a little bit earlier and couldn't put my hand on it. But it's it's prevailing wages. Biden wants to raise the prevailing wages from seventeen dollars to twenty-seven dollars for federal projects. You know, that's huge. If you look at the United Auto Workers, they are asking for a forty-six percent raise over the next four years. And on top of that, they wanna cut the work week down from 40 hours to 32. And you know they, they want increased benefits. Not, this can't possibly fly, all of it, but some of it will fly. And, uh, the, and that is adding to the inflation push. And, um, but the thing about EVs that's most scary actually is, uh, and, I, and I had a reader comment, gosh, my Tesla gets the equivalent of a hundred miles per gallon. And I said, well, la-di-da, you know, how does this scale? The, it's fine for a person to go out there and say, well, I'm gonna buy a Tesla or whatever car, GM and Ford, you know, manages to produce, uh, even assuming people start buying them, the, where do we get the minerals from the batteries? And, and how do we plug them in? And how do we charge them? And then just from an environmental standpoint, assume we have another hurricane in Florida and 5 million people need to leave Florida and they all hop in their electric vehicle whose batteries all die after 300 miles. So I don't believe we've thought this through of the complications, not to say, you know, it's even excluding all of the people who live in high rises, in, in condos, that are not going to have a way to plug their car in without massive energy upgrades to the building without massive energy upgrades you know on the infrastructure the Biden's inflation reduction act through tens of billions of dollars at this but it's a drop in the bucket compared to what's needed yet they're forcing everybody down this path and I did a post on this the other day and I said it doesn't scale. You can take, and it's the same way with free money. If you all this stuff about living wages, where they gave people money in Toronto or Chicago, and we we give everybody three hundred dollars who really needed it, and they did these reports. Gee, it made my life better. Great. You know what's the cost of giving everybody in Chicago a living wage? A thousand dollars. Here you go, a thousand dollars a month. Where does that money come from? None of these projects scale. I don't think EVs scale. I think there's other issues related to EVs. We've got, you know, Biden wants those minerals to be produced here in the United States. It takes 12 years to get a new mine up. That's under optimal conditions. Meanwhile, the Greens, who want clean energy from all of this, fight every mine that 
wants to start in the United States. So we're dependent on, on China for, uh, uh, gosh, it's like 90% of the processed materials. China is like 75% of the raw materials, but even countries that have the materials, have the metals and produce them, they mine them, they ship them to China and uh, uh, for um, uh, production because it's toxic. The, 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 when you refine these metals, it produces toxic sludge and China is the only nation that's willing to do this. So here Biden is hell bent on increasing the sanctions and tariffs that Trump put on China. Biden's turned the screws more and more and more. China is already cutting back on two minerals that the US needs for weapons manufacture. We have no other source for these things that, that, that I'm aware of. If we find another source, guess what? Guess what happens to the cost? So none of these things have been factored in. It's, it's, it's structural. We've got baby boomers retiring that in mass right now that are going to be more dependent than ever on healthcare and healthcare costs are rising. And the socialists, Bernie Sanders, the, the Elizabeth Warren want Medicare for all. How are we gonna pay for this? No matter which way you turn, we've got fiscal problems, we've got energy problems, we've got regulation problems, we've got global decoupling where everyone is feuding with China and Russia here now, you know, from the start of the Ukraine war. It, it, I, I, I don't see a winning sustainable path for a long-term drop in, in inflation under these conditions. Too many inflationary forces. We're going to take another quick break and be right back with more of today's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. Mish, I have to admit that this was a truly eye-opening answer to my question, being born and raised here in the epicenter of the electric vehicle uh, revolution, at least per capita here in Scandinavia, where I'm born and raised. Um, of course, whatever you, uh, what, what you were saying on um, the lack of, of security in, in, in times of uh, hurricanes, uh, the lack of trust in the system, the lack of scalability, it's a very feasible point relative to where I live, where we have extreme density. Uh, we have no hurricanes. We have no issues with weather in, in, in general terms. So great points, uh, Mish. And, I and you, have a, you have a smaller about, population. You'll yeah. say, oh, you know, Finland did this or Denmark did this. Yeah. Well, you know, scale this to the United States. Yeah. You know, do it. Now, China is, is, has a big push for EVs. I mean, 
they're exporting EVs. And my understanding is the quality is really good. But guess what China is doing to get the electricity for these EVs? They've turned to coal mines and more coal mines and more coal mines to produce the energy for this. Now, Europe has something called, what is it? CBAM, Carbon Mechanisms, uh, uh, C Carbon, CBAM, I think, uh, yeah, yeah. where they, they want taxes, they want to raise, you know, the taxes. Uh, uh, okay, so they're going to get minerals from, you know, some country in Africa, okay? Well, if if that country in Africa didn't produce them using clean energy, they're going to put a tariff on it. Well, great. And, and we're seeing a revolt in Europe right now um, the support for the Green Party in Germany has plunged, and um, the the Marine Le Pen is more popular than Emmanuel Macron in France, and uh, Italy is complaining right now. The Prime Minister of Italy is verbally complaining about the President of France over. France exploiting countries in Africa for the uranium that it needs for its nuclear reactors. I've never seen such amazing infighting between, in Europe, between the leader of the second largest country economically in Europe and the third. Italy and France are in open feud over energy policies right now. It's it's quite something. And in Germany, the AFD is, is more popular than uh, alternative for Germany, for, uh, for Deutschland, is uh, more popular than the Green Party now. It's, it, things are imploding faster in Europe than the United States. Why is that? Because of fiscal rules the EU, the EMU, the European Monetary Union has that's not prevalent here in the United States. We go b- before Congress and we pretend to uh, uh, reduce some expenses, but, and there's a bunch of fighting, and the debt ceiling goes up and up and up and up, and we're going to have another battle uh, uh, in September over the same thing. But in Europe, you've got fiscal rules that are kicking in. And, you know, Germany's got to figure out, well, do we do this stuff for the Greens or do we do other stuff? Do we fund NATO? Well, the uh, and and France and Italy is Italy's has a banking system, I believe, is insolvent. And here we are pushing you know, energy mandates, or the EU is pushing energy mandates on Italy that Italy can't afford. So, but it's blowing up in Europe first because by the Maastricht Treaty, the nations are restricted to budgets of 2% deficits. We don't have that in the US. In the US, we just print, pretend we can print money at will at no consequence. So the, uh, that's the difference between what's happening in Europe and what's happening in the United States. 
But I, I, you can rest assured, Miss, that no one in Europe is complying with these rules. <laughs> well, uh, I, except I, for I, the country I, I live I in. <laughs> so, Mish, I, I, I wanted to to pick your brain on the topic on of whether the inflation target could actually be moved as a consequence of the green revolution that we're talking about. Let's assume that uh, we're going to push ahead. We want EVs. We want to greenify the whole electricity production, and it comes at a cost, right? So is it even feasible that the Biden administration openly accepts a higher inflation target for the Federal Reserve? Um, I think if, if, if that scenario that you just outlined happens, um, I, I think the Fed would be forced to um, go to a higher rate. You know, and they would do it by pretending the same way that Europe pretends about meeting its budgets, right? <laughs> you know, the, the Fed would say, uh, uh, just like it has, uh, uh, well, you know, we're on this path and it's going to work, just give it time and they'll keep repeating that. Just like they did in the opposite direction, by the way, until, it's, until it smacked them in the face. The, uh, but I'm not positive that the overlying assumption is true. And by that, I mean, we don't know who's going to win the next presidential election here in the United States. You know, will it be Biden? Will it be Trump? Will it be either of them? Um, because, you know, we don't know what's gonna happen to Trump with um, four indictments. And we don't know whether Biden can last, mentally last two years to make it through a campaign. Uh, so we don't know. And the same thing, we don't know in Europe. The uh, political parties and well, right now if there was an election, uh, uh, the existing coalition would not come to 50%. So what happens to the Green Party? You know, is, uh, does it even make it into the next, you know, coalition? So there's pretending, you know, a lot of pretending everywhere. And uh, in Germany, they say, well, you know, no, no coalition will ever agree to let AFD in the coalition. Well, <laughs> excuse me, but... <laughs> If AFD rises to, you know, just a few more percentage points from where they're at, it's going to be almost impossible if you uh, throw out AFD and throw out the radical left and throw out this and throw out, you know, radical parties. The center isn't big enough, even if you merge them all together. And even <laughs> if you did merge them all together, the Greens certainly want something different than CDU, CSU. So, um, you know, that's what's going on here in Europe. Now, if a Republican wins the next presidential election here, guess what's going to happen? We're going to undo all of these regulations that Biden just did. Now, that would be good from an inflation standpoint, but it certainly doesn't appease the Greens or, or you know, you know, here in the United States. Uh, uh, so we're extremely polarized in Europe and the United States to such an extent 
that I don't think anyone can genuinely say, you know, people tell me, well, Trump would win. Well, would he? I don't know. From jail? Uh, you know, maybe he would from jail. Who knows? It's possible. There is no law that I'm aware of in the United States that says a felon can't be president. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> the uh, it's it's very, very troubling times here. And uh, so I don't know if your premise is correct, but if we say it is and um, uh, Democrats are still controlling the energy policy in the United States, I don't believe the Fed will have much of any choice other than to literally force the economy into a steep, steep recession or just mentally raise their targets and say, you know what, we're going to pretend our target is 2% when really it's 4 Remote work is in fashion, Mish, so why not be the POTUS directly from jail? <laughs> um, Mish, we've had a credit downgrade of the U.S. Treasury lately. Um, and it comes on top of a credit downgrade from the S&P. Was it a bit more than 10 years ago? Was it in 2012 or 2011? So what do you make of this credit downgrade of the U.S. government debt? Is it a theme for the upcoming election? And do you find it fair that U.S. Treasury debt is downgraded? Uh, well, it'll probably be a, th a theme for the um, upcoming election. Um, we'll also have to see what happens whether Fitch raises it back up to AAA. But actually, the U.S. is AAA. The downgrade made actually no sense. The reasons Fitch cited for the downgrade are all true. You know, the, they looked at the fiscal budget, the unsustainable path. None of that has anything to do with default. Default in the technical term, which is what Moody's, Fitch, the S&P, the big three, all go by, is whether or not interest will actually be paid on the debt. The U.S. is not going to default on interest. Now, the dollar might cheapen, okay? And so some people say, well, that's default. Well, that's not technical term of default. So um, uh, Moody's and the S&P didn't downgrade, just Fitch. And if you just look at it, if you just say the U.S. isn't going to default, then there was no reason for a downgrade. I don't know, maybe this... Uh, or we're going to have another round of this in September. They have to pass 12 bills, and only one of them is passed. And uh, the radicals in the House are saying, well, we're just going to let the U.S. default no matter. I don't think they will. Uh, if they did, we're going to see. <laughs> Uh, 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 massive downgrades and massive consequences. It, it hasn't happened yet. And I think these things are always a political sideshow. So from that standpoint, it's it, it, that's all it is. It, it's just a political sideshow, not a reality. But we do have the reality that Fitch mentioned. We are on a fiscally unsustainable path but it's not one that leads to default. Uh, countries that owe debt in their own currency 
just print more of it, they don't default. That is such a spot on summary of what's ongoing in US debt right now, Mitch. And um, I um, I wanted to conclude this discussion with a, um, a short summary of what's ongoing in China right now, Mitch. Um, I know that you follow uh, everything um, ongoing in Chinese real estate as well. And given that you have the view that US inflation will be it will be tough to get it back to target at 2%. The credit rating is not important in this discussion, but the spillovers from China being in a big malaise may be important for US inflation. So what do you make of the ongoing turmoil in Chinese real estate? Is it something that will matter in Walmart for prices down the road in the US? Huge malaise in China right now. They're, they're following in the footsteps of Japan. And um, the central banks never follow their own advice. Uh, uh, when Japan hit this crisis, uh, Ben Bernanke, former Fed chairman, told the Bank of Japan, you know, write down the bad debts. That's what you need to do. Okay. When the U.S. was in the same situation in 2008, what did Bank Bernanke do? They had, we had alphabet soup of lending programs to rescue all of the banks. So Bernanke didn't follow his own advice. Uh, China is not going to you know, take that advice either because it would cause too much political unrest. But all of these people, and I, and I have to go back and laugh, people have been predicting that China was going to you know, pass the US and GDP uh, and some people claim they already have on a purchasing power parity basis. But Michael Pettis at uh, China Financial Markets has gone out of his way, written a number of posts on that saying purchasing power parity, just, you know, trying to compare U.S. to China when China doesn't write down, you know, any of its debts in the U.S. when we have property write downs, those debts get 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 written off. How do you compare the the price of a of a, of an apartment in Shanghai to uh, something in Chicago? I, there's just too many problems with the purchasing power parity uh, uh, basis. China did not come close uh, uh, to passing the U U.S. and GDP in any other way, and now they're exactly following in the footsteps of Japan. The, uh, 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 hitting deflation. They're not going to write down. Someone has to take the losses. I, you know, that is the key thing. And, and no central bank anywhere wants to allocate those losses. In China, they're trying to paper them over. And the only way they can do that is to, to make the property bubble even bigger, build more bridges to nowhere like Japan did. China did the same thing. Airports, entire cities are ghost cities that are, that are unloved. No one has written down that stuff. GDP was artificially inflated, China's GDP to get where it was. And yes, the US does the same thing. We drop bombs, we build bombs, we drop bombs, they're wasted, they're gone. We've made enemies by dropping the bombs. And uh, you know, yet allegedly this adds up to gross domestic product. 
Well, there's nothing anywhere in this world that scales to the property bubble that China had anywhere else in the world. And if you write that down, if you write off the defaults, they add, and in China, people start paying mortgages before properties even built. And uh, that certainly does not happen in the US. I don't think it happens anywhere else in the world. So, but this property that was never built was added to GDP. It's still not built. And what has been built is crumbling. So uh, uh, China is in a very deflationary train wreck because of this debt bubble on property that's imploding. And also because of demographics, China is starting to lose population. Same thing happened in Japan. China is very much following in those footsteps. Um, we'll see whether or not some of that spills over if prices you know, decline. Uh, um, uh, and the yuan is actually sinking. So um, it's uh, th that's one thing that might help you know the 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 U.S. here. If if export prices drop, we can get more exports cheaper from China as a result of the deflation they're doing. But if you look at the sanctions and tariffs that that uh, Biden has put on China, we're trying to we're going to try and stop you know any positive impact from from a, a, a low pr price standpoint from those products you know coming into the United States because Biden wants to bring it all back here. So um, we've come full circle here. So, you know, China has problems. Europe is um, uh, uh, on a different path than the United States because of budget rules. The US is just ignoring these massive budgets. And so I keep seeing inflation head north even if rents come down and temporarily eases that inflation. But if I can get in just one more quick point, Good. everyone seems to be in love with this idea of a brick currency. Here we have the yuan is falling. There's no trust in China. There's no trust you know, about India and Brazil. These countries have nothing at all in common with each other other than a, a desire to escape um, uh, US dollarization, US sanctions. And something's gonna happen with that. I don't know what or when, but US sanction policy is another one that's inflationary and unsustainable. And that's why we're seeing this formation of the BRIC currency, but it's not gonna float. It's not gonna be tied to gold in any, any kind of meaningful way. You know, uh, uh, the yuan itself is sinking. People say there's no trust in the United States. How do you have trust in China with what it's doing politically to its people, imprisoning people over, over what it says when it doesn't, when the yuan doesn't even float? And yet this, this brick currency is supposed to be the death of the dollar. Well, forget about it. We've got, we've got problems with this, and I don't know how it resolves. I, I think we're heading for a global currency crisis at some point but this brick ain't gonna be the answer or even a big catalyst for that. 
it is as feasible as expecting the Democrats and the Republicans to agree on a common ground on energy policy. It's not going to happen, Mish. Um, I perfectly agree with that assessment. Mish Shetlog, it's been a tremendous pleasure to host you at the Real Vision platform again. I've been a, an avid follower of the Mish Talk blog on a running basis over the past year. And um, I have to admit that it is one of the best independent reads out there in the macro space. Thank you for everything you do for the global. Uh, thanks. It's, uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Mish, G-E-A. That's a, a takeoff of my old global economic analysis blog spot that I started in 2003. I'm still blogging after all these years. So Mish, G-E-A on Twitter and mishtalk.com for my regular blog. Thanks. You're welcome, Mish, and thank you very much for being with us here at the Deep Dive interview series at Real Vision. My name is Andreas Steno. We are not going to reach 2% inflation anytime soon in the US if Mish Shetlog is right. See you again for the next interview in this series. Thank you for watching. What's up, revolutionaries? Thanks for tuning in to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. For more content like this, head over to realvision.com and get unfiltered access to the very best, brightest, and biggest names in finance.